As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. He's going to throw it. Howard leaps. He has it. Touchdown, Carolina. Back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go. Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And it's Warner <laughs> with yes, a 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Here's Kupak, gives off to Amos, and he's good, he's good, he's good, he's good, he's unbelievable, Jordan back to kick, it's blocked again, picked up, it'll be a touchdown, Carolina for Bracey Walker, he blocks his second punt, and scores his second touchdown of the season, it's 14-13, Mr. Jordan meet Mr. Walker. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast on Spreaker.com. Welcome into this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. As always, Anthony Pagnotta here with you. And guys, today we're on the show to recap the early signing period as it closed. Yesterday, uh, after I think about 5 o'clock was when the official signing day closed. Um, and Carolina will talk, will, will break down everything that went on for them in the early signing period. Most of the action coming on Wednesday and Thursday, we'll let you hear an interview that we did with Tar Heel Illustrated's Jacob Turner to recap the signing day extravaganza. And then uh, we'll also talk about William Sweet going to the NFL draft. And we'll hear from Daniel Parlagreco, an interview with him that you guys can hear on this edition of the podcast. And also it'll be posted uh, later in the week um, just by itself if you guys just want to listen to that interview. But uh, we'll start by doing our own little recap of the signing day class um, and welcome in my buddy Josh Marlowe, as always, here to uh, co-host with us, and uh, I think he's pretty excited uh, so far, a uh, guy that was a big supporter of Mac Brown, and boy, it's paying off so far, buddy, isn't it? Yeah, he pretty much did what he told you he was going to do when he was hired shortly after um, the final game against NC State, which was, first off, was going to go hire a great staff. Mm-hmm. He's done that. And they were going to hit the ground running recruiting, mainly in the state of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you know, Tim Brewster, Dre Bly, um, all those guys surely did a lot of work leading up into that first signing period. And this past Wednesday, it paid off in a really big way for the for the program. Yeah, you're definitely right about that. And, you know, I'm looking at it right here. So far, 10 guys of the 19 that are committed to the class, actually all that are now signed to the class, all have early signed. Um, 10 of those 19 are from the state of North Carolina. This is the first time that we've seen this type of focus in state, I mean, probably since the John Bunning era, because I don't even feel like 
Butch Davis hit the state quite this hard. And the quickness to which Mac Brown was able to get his staff in there and put this recruiting class together was just overly impressive. I mean, I know you probably heard it. I was watching it, um, you know, on ESPN, I, or maybe you didn't hear it because unlike uh, me, you actually do work. Um, you know, me, I am, uh, I am usually cooped up writing articles and everything like that. So I do get a little more time to hear these types of things. But on signing day, I was sitting down watching the, uh, you know, the the thing that they had on ESPNU. They had Mac Brown on, and one of the things that Mac said is he said, "Look, when I was hiring my staff." You know, I knew that I was not going to be able to just keep going back to Chapel Hill to try to meet with these guys. So, Matt Brown was meeting with these guys in air, you know, at airports. He was meeting with them at hotels. He was even meeting with these guys when he went down to Atlanta for the Pro Football, or, uh, excuse me, the College Football Hall of Fame induction. Uh, I mean, this guy right now, and it's, you said it before we came on here. You know, this is a guy that has said, you know, a lot of people have kind of questioned whether or not he would still have that drive and desire to be a head coach. Would he be able to put in enough effort? And so far, he's definitely done that. And, you know, I mean, it paid off in a big way with some of the prospects that we saw that were uncommitted coming into the day or that were committed, but he was able to flip. There were three guys, and we'll talk about the first two, and then we'll circle back. But we'll start with Tamari Fox, the defensive end out of uh, Collins Hill High School in Sewanee, Georgia, the brother of Timon Fox, who currently plays on the team. And this one, you know, the first letter of intent that came in on the day, you know, I kind of wonder if it was a little bit of a surprise to the staff, considering that everything that we had saw about him was saying that Georgia Tech had made a really great push with Jeff Collins on his official visit there. Iowa had made a great impression on him as well. Um, you know, the one thing that I think everybody thought Carolina really just had going for him was that, you know, he was related to a player on the team. But apparently, Mac Brown called him up and told him, look, we think you're going to be a really great fit in this defense. And Jay Bateman said the same thing, and it ends up paying off with his commitment. So that was a big one to start out the day. And the second one of the early morning was Tristan Miller, the offensive tackle out of Charlotte Country Day. The biggest thing about him, you know, he's going to have a chance to come in, I think, and have an early impact. I watched the film on him. Kid is an absolute mauler in the run game. I mean, just uses his big frame to absolutely dominate defensive ends. And this is a guy that at 6'6", 275 as an offensive tackle, some people might be saying to themselves, well, can this guy really move all that well? He, he really can. Um, I mean, every time I saw him in pass protection, I thought he did a great job. One of the main things about him, he doesn't get beat inside ever. He's a guy that will always put the defensive end on his outside shoulder, which is something that takes a lot of smarts for – High school offensive tackles, that's usually something that is kind of taught at the college level and focused on more at the NFL level as well. And being that he's going to be in a pass-heavy offense, you would think at Carolina, um, which we'll talk about Phil Longo's offense coming up, that's probably something good. So, you know, the first two 
guys of the day. I mean, Tristan Miller, I think, is one you've probably heard a little bit more about as we've gone along because he was a guy that was committed to NC State, eventually decommitted. But, I mean, the thing is, you know, with Tristan Miller coming in on, on the offensive line and you got the defensive end in, in Fox coming in, you know, those were two positions in need. So those were two big pickups, right? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, the, the Fox kid, you know, like you said, there were other schools that were had just as good a chance at getting them. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, I think, you know, you look at his commitment, a chance to play with your brother. Not Not many guys get to do that. And then, you know, like you said, Mac Brown and Jay Bateman really sold him on his potential role in the defense if he if he works. And if he puts the effort in, he's mm-hmm. going to be a, a really big part of really fixing the defensive issues here in, in Chapel Hill. And then with the offensive lineman, the big thing I took I looked at it was you, Mac Brown's been here three weeks and has already flipped an NC State commitment. And, you know, mm-hmm. anytime you can do that, especially with your, your main football rival and a guy that's from – the Charlotte area, where this it's a hotbed for, for for football talent now, it's always a big deal. So was very um, surprised and happy with those guys committing to, to Carolina. Then there was a little bit of time until we got to the third uh, commitment of the day. This one ended up being a flip as well. But we'll focus on what happened in between that, um, which is where we got most of the guys that were already committed to the class to sign. Um, the Tar Heels ended up going into the later, uh, the latter part of the day with 16 guys uh, would sign their letter of intents at that point. Um, the guys they were waiting on, Choffrey Brown and uh, – and, and Kadri Jackson, they signed theirs later on. Kadri Jackson signed it later on in the day, and Shoffrey Brown actually signed it the night after at special ceremony. So it was nothing to be too concerned about. I don't think anybody really was. Um, but both of those guys will be coming to campus early, it would appear. Some of the other guys that will probably be coming to campus early that can make some early impacts, Emery Simmons, the wide receiver out of Southview High School um, in Hope Mills, North Carolina, a guy that we talked to on the podcast and he thinks that he can have a, you know, he's going to have a chance to have an early role in this offense. And from what I've seen from him, he's a guy that has some speed, does a great job in the open field, catches just about everything. Um, most, I mean, if you watch his highlight film, especially his junior highlight film, which was the one that I uh, went back and watched a little bit more uh, considering that that was the one that I had watched the first time that I had broken him down when he committed to us back during the summer. You know, this kid just, I mean, he, his ability to adjust to the football is amazing because there were plenty of times where his quarterback who, you know, looks pretty talented himself did a good job of putting it on his outside shoulder. And for a lot of these guys at the high school level, that's a tough catch to make. And I thought he did a fantastic job doing that. Um, so he has a chance to come in, I think, immediately, especially with Anthony Ratliff-Williams departing and really guys in that wide receiving core having some talent but struggling to separate themselves. He has a chance to come in and make an early impact. Josh Henderson, now this is one that kind of shocked me a little bit. Um, you know, he was a running, he's a running back online. He's listed as a running back, a guy that's ranked as the number 37 running back in the 2019 class according to 24-7 Sports. But one of the things that came up in Mac Brown's press conference, he said, you know, this guy has the ability to play on the defensive side of the football. I would wonder where Mac Brown is thinking about playing him. I think he did play a little bit of safety 
at the high at the high school level. And I have to go back and watch his highlight tape a little bit more, particularly his senior tape, because maybe there was something there that wasn't shown on his junior tape. But you know, this is a guy that was originally brought in under Larry Fedora's staff as a running back. If he has that talent defensively, that could be huge. That could be a guy that you could definitely see getting out there early. Giovanni Biggers, the safety from Baltimore, Maryland, uh, out of the boys' Latin school there. Um, you know, I watched him, and this was a guy that stuck out to me immediately. Again, another three-star guy, rated as the 56th overall safety in the 2019 class, according to 24-7 Sports. And when I look at him, I think a guy that's just all over the place, flies around Great tackler, and I think he fits this Jay Bateman defense very, very well. One of those guys that when they made the coaching change, I wonder if he didn't feel like maybe it was a better fit even than John Papuchis's defense was going to be for him. And that, that could be interesting, especially because it seems like he is going to enroll early. The safety position is not as deep as the Tar Heels would probably like it to be. They're only going to return five scholarship safeties for this season, so... It'll be interesting to see if maybe he could come on there and make a little bit of an impact. And then you got some of the more raw guys that will take a little bit of time probably to develop. Guys like Asim Richards, the offensive tackle, who can also play on the defensive line. And they may end up playing a little bit down there because of just how effective he was um, coming out of the state of Pennsylvania. Um, Kevin Hester, the defensive end from Kennesaw, Georgia, out of North Cobb High School. Guy that played just one year of high school football, but they love his build. They love everything about what they've seen from him on tape. A guy that is going to get after the quarterback, but is a little bit slower than some of the defensive ends that have been at Carolina lately. So he's a guy that's going to have to probably put on some weight and may have to kick inside in order to be able to be as effective as he would like. And then, uh, I mean, there are a lot of other guys that are a little bit lesser known. And some of the guys at the end of the class that rounded out, that'll be there early and more than likely we'll see a lot of playing time this year. Ben Kiernan, the punter from Wakefield High School in Raleigh, North Carolina, Again, a guy that's got a big leg um, and a guy that I think is going to probably start because the two guys that they're, bring, that they're bringing back are uh, Mike Seltzer, who uh, is a guy that came in last year as a walk-on, um, and then I don't remember who else is going to be in the punting race. I, be I believe Noah Ruggles will also get a look there as well. He was expected to get a look there last year as the backup to Hunter Lent, but Hunter Lent had some struggles with consistency last year, as we all know. That was one of the big things with them throughout his career. So, ultimately, <coughs> it'll be interesting to see if Kernan could come in and maybe settle that down a little bit. And then Drew Little, the long snapper from North Stanley High School up in New London, North Carolina, he will come in more than likely will become the starter there as well, as he is a scholarship guy, Trevor Collins, who will be the other returnee at the long snapping spot is not. But, you know, when you when you look at this class, I mean, a lot of the guys at the top of the class, you know, we were talking about it just a little bit. You think that at the top of the class, there will be some guys that will be able to potentially come in and, and, and maybe have a little bit of an effect early on. Yeah, that's kind of what you, you hope for when you bring in some, some new talent. You want some guys to be able to con contribute right away. Um, you know, football is a sport where you, you can afford to redshirt guys, unlike a basketball, where you only have 15 guys, you mm -hmm. need everybody to get football. You have, 
what's it like, 120 or something like that they can, they can actually have on, on the roster. It's some crazy number where you have a, you can have a lot of players. So, um, and, and, of course, the guys that enroll early <clears throat> always have a head start because they're going to be there for the winter workouts right? and for all the stuff in the spring. So I think that's the, the coaching staff's hope. And that's why a lot of these players, you know, graduate in December so they can go ahead and sign their commitment and hopefully – be uh, productive on the field next August. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of the guys are going to end up coming in early. Um, it looks like Ch- uh, Choffrey Brown and Emery Simmons, both of those guys, are definitely going to enroll early, um, as well as Josh Henderson, which will be good if he is going to be kicking to the defensive side of the ball. But most of the class, they seem like they're going to enroll early. There are a few guys that will stay behind and will come in the summer. But, of course, that's what the early signing period really helps you with now is that you get a lot more of these guys on campus earlier um, because, you know, back before the early signing period started last year, typically you'd get around <laughs> six to seven guys maybe that would come on. Now I think it's going to be around more like 11 or 12 guys that will be coming to campus early. But the biggest guy that headlined the whole day committed at 2.30, and it, it was a flip, Florida State was the place where Sam Howell was going for the longest time. Most people thought he was going there. It was, you know, up and down. We heard, of course, before the state game that he was thinking about flipping to Carolina. Then Fedora gets fired. Everybody thinks, okay, now he's pretty solid to Florida State. This is pretty much where he's going to go because Walt Bell's there. He has a great relationship with him. And they're going to probably have a spot open with DeAndre Francois transferring. DeAndre Francois is transferring, but Walt Bell goes and takes the job as the head coach at UMass, and now all of a sudden, Howell doesn't have the guy that offered him his first scholarship when Walt Bell was back at Maryland, and all of a sudden, I think he started questioning things just a little bit. Ultimately, the offensive coordinator position remained open for a longer period of time than Carolina's did. Howell wanted stability. That was one of the main things that he told Langston Wirtz Jr. of the Charlotte Observer when he was doing the ride-along with recruits, something that a lot of the Observer papers here in North Carolina have begun to do. And that was kind of, I think, the thing in his mind that tipped the scales a little bit. The fact that they didn't have an OC in place. Bryles now seems like he's going to go there. We just saw the news before the podcast that he had resigned at Houston, but it's still not official that he's on his way to Florida State um, because they can't agree on contract terms with him. So them dragging their feet definitely helped Carolina. And I think the other thing that helped Carolina a lot is that right now, let's be real honest here, we don't know about the future of Willie Taggart at Florida State. There are some that think that if he gets off to a really bad start next year, he could be fired in season or – He could be fired after the season, but still, after just two years, he would be gone. And already at that point, Howell would be without the coach that recruited him. Mac Brown, look, he signed a five-year contract for a reason. Mac Brown is going to be here for five years, whether you like it or not, as Tar Heel fans. And at this point, if you don't like it, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what more you need from him. But I think that stability is the main thing that attracted Howell to Carolina. I think the fact that he wanted to represent the state as well because this is where he plays. He's closer to home. He has a really good connection with his dad, who was his offensive coordinator at Sun Valley High School here in Indian Trail, North Carolina. So 
you know, it made a lot of sense. And when he made that flip, I'm going to tell you, the biggest thing that I took away from it was not only was there buzz within the Tar Heel community, <laughs> there was buzz from the national recruiting sites. And there were a lot of people that said that was arguably the biggest signing day flip of the entire early signing period may have been the biggest commitment out of any of the players. We saw a lot of guys that were on ESPNU uh, during the day that were five-star guys, but it seemed at the end of the day that Sam Howell was the guy that everybody was talking about. And, you know, you know, rivals.com, Adam Friedman, who does a fantastic job covering this area um, when it comes to recruiting for them, you know, he did his grades uh, for the first year head coaches and Mac Brown graded out as an A, one of only two coaches that graded out for that. And the main guy that they were talking about, once again, was Sam Howell. So, you know, we've we've seen this guy in person. We went and saw him a couple of years ago. This kid is, I mean, he's legit. So, I mean, when the, by bringing him in, I mean, just kind of, you know, on that day, what was your initial reaction when you found out that we were getting a guy that is the highest rated quarterback that we've landed since Mike Paulus? Oh, it was definitely a uh, a jolt for the program. You get a guy of that stature. You know, this was, this is an elite eleven quarterback, which is a very high profile quarterback camp for the high school kids. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was a part of that. Another thing is, and this big thing that we that's going to be under Mac Brown, he's an in-state guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it kind of weighed on him once you got rid of Larry Fedora and you brought in Mac Brown, and he made it a point that look, in-state guys, you you know, you're the most important part of the program. Mm-hmm. With Fedora, it wasn't, and I think that kind of spoke to him. And also the the uh, like you said, the is it un- unstable? Uh, what's going on in Tallahassee? Right, yeah, right. now in Chapel Hill, there is stability because mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about Larry Fedora. When's he going to be fired? We have Mac Brown. He signed a five-year deal, and like you said, he'll probably coach you out all five years. So, right. Um, you brought in an offensive coordinator who's kind of a quarterback whisperer because every quarterback he's worked with has put up numbers. So I think all those things worked in our favor. I'm, you know, definitely excited for the kid. Um, I, I think he's has potential to be a really, really good player if he puts in the kind of work and effort that you got to put in at the college level. So, And this is the kind of guy that can really spur the next couple recruiting classes because this could be your star player that you sell all these other kids to come play with. Kind of like, you know, in NBA, when you're trying to build a super team or something like that, Sam Howell could be the first piece to Mac Brown building the kind of offense he wants to have and Chapel Hill. And that offense starts with Phil Longo, who was hired. We actually haven't done a podcast, just us two, since he's been hired. And so with Phil Longo coming in, now Sam Howell will join him there. And you wonder, you know, that should be a good fit for sure. And that's one of the reasons that I think they prioritized him is that Longo said, look, this is the guy that I want because he's going to run an air raid offense. This is a guy that's going to throw the ball a pretty good amount of times. Now, I want to stress this to people. This offense <laughs> still runs the football. We are not talking about a Washington State or Texas Tech-style offense where they run the ball maybe 15 times a game. No, he will run the football a little bit more than that, but he is going to focus on making the passing game a strength of this offense against something that it – Really has not been. I mean, anybody. if anybody is seeing something different, please tell me. Because 
I have not – this offense has not been – I mean, the passing offense in particular has not been a strength of this team in the last two years. I mean, this year, I think we can both agree, and we talked about it on this podcast, Nathan Elliott limited the offense to a certain extent this season. Now you're going to have Kate Fortin, of course, coming back. You bring in Howell, and, of course, you're going to have Jace Reuter returning from his injury as well. And with this offense – that is going to like to throw the ball a lot, going to get these playmakers in space, I think it's going to fit these guys very well. And I think it's going to help us out a ton. I mean, you know, when I look at it and, and see, you know, the guys that Longo has coached before that, I mean, you look at Jordan Tayamu, who's about to go to the NFL uh, at Ole Miss. I mean, a guy that's probably going to get drafted Maybe might go undrafted, but again, look at his numbers. He had a great year this year. The reason Ole Miss wasn't that good this year, honestly, they played no defense. Um, now, the thing about Longo some people are concerned about is that his red zone offense isn't great. Um, only converted 50% of his red zone attempts into touchdowns this year. Um, they did have one of the nation's best kickers, 21 field goals made, so you know, that's going to be one of the main things that I think he has to improve on when he's at Carolina. But the fact that in between the 20s, he is about as good as they come in at the college football level right now. I mean, the fact that they had over 500 yards of total offense this year should definitely excite people. And so the Longo hire, at least from my perspective, you know, really had me excited. I mean, what did you think of his hire at the time? I mean, at this moment, when you hear some of those type of statistics, it, it still has to be exciting, right? Yeah, I was a big fan of the hire, considering everybody thought that with Mac Brown being back, we're going to run the offense he ran in the 90s. No, this guy understands what the NFL is or the, what the college game is, which is all about space and pace. So we're going to play – with the same kind of tempo we've been playing for the last eight years. And we're going to want to put up yards and put up points. Um, you know, like you said, his numbers in terms of total offense, passing yardage, you, you, you honestly can't argue with what he's done, especially in the SEC, which is the most talented conference in the in the country in terms right. of, of talent on offense and defense. And look, he's that old Miss who, like, yeah, they have talent, but they don't have, like, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State kind of talent on offense. So Well, he did have a quarterback like for, that for his a first bit. year. And then, yeah, and remember, Shea Patterson didn't even play all of last year at Ole Miss. Remember, he went down with an injury. They had to bring in Tayamu, and look at what he made Tayamu into. I mean, honestly, you know, this was a guy that I don't think was on anybody's radar to be drafted. And now, all of a sudden, this is a guy that could slip in somewhere on day three and have an NFL career because of his offense. And another guy that I like to bring up, he came from Sam Houston State when he came to Ole Miss. Remember Jeremiah Briscoe? He was a guy that was a Division One guy, ended up having to drop down into the FCS when he transferred, and he made Jeremiah Briscoe into a guy that was on the fringe of making the NFL, was very effective, was a guy that led the FCS in passing, I believe, two straight years, and still had the ability to run. And that's the reason that I think Howell likes this offense. And that's one of the reasons that he committed to this offense. Is because, look, even though he's going to want to throw the ball a lot, and we saw this with Tayamu too this year, if you have the ability to run the football, he will allow you to use your legs to pick up first downs. And that's what Howell can do. He ran for 
over 3,500 yards in his high school career. I mean, this kid had 17,000 yards of offense in his time playing high school football. He's he's the real deal. Let me tell you that. He's a, I mean, they don't list him as a dual threat online because he's more of a pro style. He's a guy that if he can stay in the pocket, will stay in the pocket. But out in space... I'm going to tell you, he'll run people over. I mean, he's 6'1", 225, so he's no small guy. That's going to, I mean, that's going to bring in some different things to this offense. They might be able to run some of these quarterback draws at times if they need to, something that we really haven't been able to do effectively since Marquise Williams. So it'll be interesting to see how Phil Longo is able to use him if he is his starting quarterback at the beginning of the season. And I guess, you know, we'll, we'll definitely have that debate going forward. But let me ask you this. He is at least going to be in the competition, right? There is going to be another quarterback competition in the offseason in Chapel Hill. Most definitely. Um, you know, we were talking before we came on tonight, you know, this could, might force a, a Chasserat to transfer, but you would figure going in. Yeah, there's going to be an odd man out that of that. You're going to have a three-horse yep. race with you would you would figure Fortin, who I think you yep. know would be the my my early guy going in would be the leader, Reuter, and then Howell, and then like see I think I think Elliott stays because he's a veteran that kind of understands the program, right? And if you know if injuries were to happen, we'll at least have some some veteran presence in that quarterback room. But yeah, there's no way in, in hell this guy's not gonna be in the you know in spring reps and all this other stuff, not not getting some some action unless he's hurt. Because he's he's too damn good, right? To to not factor into who's going to be starting quarterback when we play South Carolina next August. And so. I'm going to tell you what could be very interesting about it, and we'll talk more about this as we get closer to that game, which is still a long way away. But there is a real chance that it could be true freshman versus true freshman when we step into Bank of America Stadium next year and that <laughs> opening. Sam Howell. Could be our freshman quarterback, and then you got Ryan Holinsky, who's going down to South Carolina. There's a lot of people that think he could beat out Jake Bentley. So I'm going to tell you, don't be surprised if this young man is out there. And how special would that be for him? First time that he's out there in his Carolina career, it's in Charlotte, just down the block from where he played his high school football. That would be fantastic. But we'll have to wait and see. Believe it or not, we're still... Almost nine months away from that day. I think at this point, there is so much excitement around this football team after the class that Mac Brown was able to put together. And I cannot stress this enough. This class at one point, about two weeks ago now, was at 91st in the country. Oh, no, three weeks ago. Was at 91st in the country. And now, we sit here at this point, after everything is done. He got the class... Up to as high as 36. The class now sits at 39. But again, we still have the late signing period, so there should could still be more damage to be done for Mac Brown on the recruiting trail. I don't. I mean, I don't know how you could expect anything better from what this staff has done. They hit the road on fire. Tim Brewster might be the most fired up person that I've ever seen in my life to not see their family. This man lives on the road. I mean, he is always somewhere except Chapel Hill. 
And he has done a fantastic job. The whole staff has done a fantastic job, including the guys that were holdovers um, from Fedora's staff. I thought Robert Gillespie and, <laughs> and Chad Scott, as well as, of course, Tommy Thigpen, who I think we all knew was probably going to stay on the staff. But they've done a great job of adjusting quickly with Mac and being effective on the recruiting trail as well, um, especially Chad Scott and, and Robert Gillespie still keeping those ties that they had in the state of Georgia. And that allowed the Tar Heels to land two guys in Christian Varner and uh, Kevin Hester before, of course, landing Tamari Fox in there and uh, in that class before um, they, they were able to get to signing day. So, yeah, in this early signing period, those guys keeping the roots that were established by Fedora in the states of Georgia and Florida, as well as the DMV area. But Mac Brown also being able to do a great job of getting North Carolina back in his possession. So um, we want to let you guys hear a little bit of the interview with Jacob Turner from Tory Hill Illustrated, guy that has done fantastic work for them, has come in and uh, been one of those guys that's kind of jumped on the scene here late in this year. And I think he's done a fantastic job. We had to sit down and talk to him just a little bit about the Tar Heel recruiting class that they were able to bring in in the early signing period and just what he thinks this class could do going forward as well. We appreciate having you on. You do a great job for Tar Heel Illustrated. And, uh, you know, the Christmas season started a little bit early for guys like us who are big into recruiting. And early signing day 2019 was a very successful one for the Tar Heels um, you know, I guess where we got to start, I, I guess we'll just kind of go kind of like a timeline throughout the day. You know, we started early in the morning and uh, Tamari Fox, the defensive end from Sewanee, Georgia, the brother of Timon Fox. He was the first one that ended up committing out of all or ended up signing his letter of intent, actually, out of all of the players in the 2019 class. It was a little bit of a shock to start out the day because we had heard that Georgia Tech was all over him, and Iowa was as well. But, you know, landing a guy like that, what do you think that does for the defensive line, um, you know, especially with all the guys that are departing this offseason? Yeah, I think I think getting Tamari Fox was a big signing for Carolina. I and mean, obviously, uh, the brother of Timon Fox, you want to get guys like that for me. You know, Matt Brown's talked about a lot since he's come in about building this Carolina, Carolina family, kind of similar to what he had. Uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s when he was here, when you know Carolina was as, as successful as they've ever been in football. So I think getting Tamari, not only is he a great, great player, I'm not going to lie to you, I thought he was, I really thought he was Iowa-bound based on what I've been hearing. He, mm -hmm. he took an official visit late to Georgia Tech, I think a couple weeks before uh, signing day. So I was a little worried about that. And then, and then I wake up in the morning kind of saying, and I see Tamari's committed, and, and I'm just happy about that. I think he's a you know, 6'2", 250-pound guy, like I said, Related to Simone Fox, that's his brother. So you want to keep mm -hmm. that tight knit family kind of group, and, and hopefully encourage going down the line. You know, more brothers and duos like that to come in and, and want to play at Carolina. You've also got the likes of Joffrey Brown, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, brother of Deami Brown, who committed to Carolina as well and signed his LOI too. So it's just really exciting to get a guy like Tamari. I think he's got a lot of upside, and I also think if you would ask me a month ago, maybe when Fedora was in charge, uh, I would have said I don't think Carolina's getting this guy, but. I right. Mac Brown and the new staff, Jay Bateman, uh, the new defensive co-defensive co coordinator, I should say, uh, alongside Tommy Thigpen, have done a really good job of getting a guy, you know, Georgia and, and the Atlanta area is a hotbed for, for talent. So getting Tamari Fox is a big pickup for Carolina. And I think if he can be anywhere near as good of a, of a player as Timon, his brother, I think uh, Carolina's got a really, really good uh, commit here in Tamari. 
Yeah, one of the things that I saw from Mac Brown, I mean, he was, of course, going through all the guys, um, you know, one by one, something that really hasn't been seen, and kind of breaking down every guy. And he said that Tamari was really one of the guys that they keyed in on because of his fit for Jay Bateman's defense in that 3-4 yeah. system. So um, I think that's going to be interesting to see just how that pans out. Well, you moved on then from Tamari Fox. You had an, an hour about – um, until you moved on to 2019 offensive tackle Tristan Miller. And this was a big one for the Tar Heels to be able to flip his commitment. Of course, they had been on him for a while, but at one time he was committed to Wake Forest, ended up decommitting from them, but then committing to State. Now Carolina ends up getting him, and he's one of those offensive linemen. I watched his tape the other day, and this kid, while he maybe doesn't play at the highest level of high school football in the state because he is in the independent league, um, in the state, but he, he, this kid is amazing. I mean, I love his size. I love his footwork. I love everything about what he can do in run blocking and in pass protection. You know, when you watch this young man, how early do you think he's going to be able to have an impact and what type of impact will that be? Well, you, you mentioned his body size, and, and I think that really has a lot to do with him. He's a 6'6", 275-pound guy. I mean, 6'6", offensive tackle. You'll take anybody like that in the country no matter really how much how good they've proven to be already in high school, just based on potential, you'll take a guy that's 6'6 six, six and 275. But the thing about Tristan Miller is he's also a really good player. He's a three-star product, um, a guy that's out of Charlotte. He's in-state. We were able to flip. Carolina was able to flip him from NC State, like you mentioned. And I think that's a big pickup. Not only is he going to be a good player, I think he has a chance over the next few years, especially with the likes of uh, William Sweet announcing today that he's going to go to the NFL draft. I think Tristan Miller has a chance next year to step in and get some significant minutes. I'm not sure he'll be a starter. I'm not sure he'll have a huge, huge role to play for the Tarles next season because Carolina is returning you know, a lot of guys on that offensive line, which is a real plus side for them. But Tristan Miller down the line, I mean, when you look at a 6'6 guy, 275, not only is that what you see in a lot of these elite programs on the offensive line, you see big guys like that. That's what Mac Brown wants. He's talked about, he said it uh, on Wednesday at signing day. Someone asked him, hey, you know, what do you feel like this team really needs to strengthen that? And he said big men up front on both sides of the ball. And he also said cornerbacks and linebackers, which I think is a very, very fair assessment for what this Carolina defense defense needs. So you always want to get big guys on the offensive line, make no mistakes about that. But I was really excited to see Tristan Miller come in, especially when you can see him flip from you – know, he was committed to Wake Forest previously as well. And it's just, it's just always good to get guys like that that have these connections to these uh, in-state programs in North Carolina and, and get him to – to come to Chapel Hill. So I think Tristan Miller pickup is, is one of the most underrated ones of the day, just because, like I said, his body size is, is there and the potential this kid has to get even better is, is just outstanding. So I think Tristan Miller is a big pickup and, and another statement pickup from this new coaching staff, especially when you consider the fact that he's, he's an in-state guy too. There was a little bit of a layoff, uh, and you saw some guys, of course, that we knew were committed to the class. They ended up signing their letters of intent but we end up heading into the afternoon, and that's where we got our second flip of the day and the biggest one. This one, one of the best quarterbacks that we've ever landed at the University of North Carolina. And, you know, a guy that, for me, is, you know, a, a little bit special because I've been covering him for four years um, since he was a freshman and Sam Howell, um, who plays right here in Monroe, North Carolina, you know, this kid is dynamic, and, and you were the first one that actually mentioned this. I have to give you credit. 
you had told me this, uh, or you had said, I think you had posted this during the Shrine Bowl, and we had a short little conversation about it, that he reminded you of Baker Mayfield. And then, you know, Matt comes out and says that in the Mm -hmm. press conference. So the thing is, is how important is, is a guy like that to the success of an offense? And then my question is, how does, you know, with Howell's, mentality being like Baker Mayfield, how do you think that's going to fit Phil Longo's offense? Well, I think Sam Howell, like you mentioned, is a huge pickup for Carolina. I mean, mm-hmm. he's the second best player in the state. He's a, he's a top 300 ESPN, top 300 guy. He's a quarterback, uh, the highest rated quarterback. I did a little research, I think. According to Rivals, he was the highest rated quarterback since uh, Mike Paulus back in 2007, who uh, his career obviously didn't pan out uh, like many people thought. He ended up transferring to William & Mary. But I know Somebody that works with uh, 247 Sports had mentioned he was the highest quarterback pickup since Brent Renner, who had a, a really solid career and has gone on to have a good coaching career now with Butcher Davis at FIU. But the thing about Sam Howell is he is a, a quarterback, and not only a quarterback, he's just a prospect that you have to get if you mm-hmm. want to return to the place that Mac Brown keeps saying of controlling the state and controlling recruiting. And the fact that, you know, I think – even with Larry Fedora and his staff, I think Carolina still had a decent shot at flipping Howell. Right. I think Howell, Howell was looking for every reason he could to stay in state, mm-hmm. especially with the turmoil you see at FSU. They didn't have a great season last year for different reasons. And they lose Walt Bell, offensive coordinator, who goes to UMass. So I think things just kind of worked their way. The, the, things, the way things worked out, it just kind of happened that if you looked at it on paper, I mean, I think Sam Howell would have made a mistake by going to Florida State with all the questions they have. Carolina brings in the offensive coordinator uh, like Longo, who's who actually recruited him at Ole Miss. So he had a little bit of a relationship with him as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, Sam Howe is a guy. I'm going to say it on this podcast. I actually did a. I was talking to uh, one of my good friends. I do a pod, Carolina Talk podcast with. And his name's Brandon too. We actually interns um, at the David Glenn Show uh, here in Raleigh. And he mentioned we had this conversation earlier today. But I really, really feel that Sam Howe might be the guy that Mac Brown rolls with from day one. And that's a bold statement because I think Jace Reuter and Kate Fortin, I think they're two guys that can start at a lot of teams, the majority of teams in the ACC. But the way that Mac Brown went after this guy, Sam Howe, I don't know what conversations went on behind the scenes, but there's a really there's an opening spot at Florida State as well. Francois, there's rumors that he might be headed to the league. Mm-hmm. And, and Sam Howe might have been there, you know, in, in battling for a spot next year. As a starter at Florida State, and his chances arguably could have could have been better down there when you look at the talent that Carolina has. You know, Carolina's going to have three freshman quarterbacks next year, two redshirt guys, and a and a, and a true freshman in, in Sam Howell. And picking up Sam Howell, like I mentioned, was huge. But I'm going to say it on this on, on this thing right now on this podcast right now. I think there's a legitimate shot that Sam Howell is the guy that that Mac Brown says, "Hey, we're rolling with you from day one. I'm a new coach here. This is my program, and I'm going to roll with the guy that I feel like." I recruited and I feel like this is going to give us the best shot to win because he really does have a lot of similar things to, to Baker Mayfield. And no way am I saying he's going to be half the player that Baker Mayfield was and he's a Heisman Trophy guy. I'm sure everybody at Carolina hopes he can do that. And I think the way we've seen mm-hmm. him play and, and how rated he is, he's got a shot at being a really, really good quarterback at Carolina and just a huge pickup to sum it all up. And I would not be surprised at all to see how, uh, you know, starting a quarterback in Carolina's opening game in Charlotte next year. 
Yeah, no, I'm with you. And how, how great would that be for him to be able to open up mm-hmm. just about 30 minutes from where he played his high school football? I think exactly. the fit, like you said, is great, especially if he's got some of those Baker Mayfield-like talents. Because, look, yeah, you'll say, okay, at Oklahoma, maybe he didn't run an air raid offense. But I think people forget that early in his career, he was at Texas Tech, and he was exactly. very successful in that air raid offense. And if that's the type of quarterback – that Sam Howell is going to be. And trust me, I've seen it in games here in the local area where he just has to take over because simply the talent around him wasn't quite on the same level as him. They weren't quite as effective running the football as maybe they would have liked the last couple of years at Sun Valley High School. And so when he had to take over games, he was still extremely successful. I mean, he did it in the game uh, last year in the state semifinal against uh, A.C. Reynolds High School up in Asheville. I was actually up there covering it, and it was a game where they just really couldn't run the football that much, and he just knew it's my time to take over. Um, one of the things to kind of watch out for from him, though, and this is one of the reasons that I compared him to Mitch Trubisky a little bit, he's sneaky athletic, and of course, you know, with the big arm, that's that's going to draw maybe some comparisons as well, but Honestly, you know, the quiet demeanor about him. I mean, this is not a guy that's really flashy, and and he could be if he really wanted to because he is a borderline five-star recruit. He went out to the Elite 11 camp out in California with Trent Dilfer. So this guy knows that he's a good player, trust me. But at the same time, he remains humble. He's a guy that just, you know, knows he's trying to elevate his game every time he's out there. So it's going to be interesting to see what the fit is like in long goes offense mainly just how quickly he can pick up on everything you know the technicalities in his offense but this is a guy that ran a pretty complex offense in high school he ran a lot of RPOs because he was that advanced so don't yeah I'm with you don't be shocked if he's the guy that's out there when we start the season so um, you know when you look back on the other guys that of course signed their letter of intent everybody else what was pretty much expected, 16 guys that signed their letter of intent. You know, who were the guys, you know, I say give me like uh, two or three maybe that stick out to you on paper um, that you say, okay, these guys could maybe come in and make early impacts or maybe not maybe not early impacts, but potentially impacts at some point in their career at Carolina. Yeah, that's a good question. I think when I look at this list of, of the 16 other guys, I mean, obviously Sam Howell's got the opportunity to come in, like we mentioned, to have a really huge impact on this program with the high, as, as highly rated as he is. He's going to be kind of the man to watch for next year and a, and a guy that a lot of fans are really just going to fall in love with based on kind of everything you said, his demeanor. Mm-hmm. He's a quiet guy, but he's also very, very good at what he does. But I think the, the biggest guy for me that I was happy with uh, to see coming in and, and a guy that I think can really have a big impact it is Chaffrey Brown, Deambi Brown's brother, you know, mm-hmm. four-star guy. Um, out of Charlotte, North Carolina again. And, and for me, Choffrey, he's a guy that is very, very similar to his brother. I think Diami had a, a little bit of a oh, – he didn't have a bad season as a true freshman this year, but he, he kind of underperformed for me, and it wasn't down to him. I've talked about it a lot. I just don't think Carolina – and this is no disrespect to Nathan Elliott. I just don't think Carolina had a guy last year, a quarterback, that could get the weapons, the ball that they needed to. I think that's why you saw um, Carolina play so much better when Fortin and Reuter were in there for those limited amounts of time. But the thing about Choffrey Brown is if you really put him and Diami's tape side by side, they're they're almost identical. They're two very fast guys, two super athletic, lengthy guys. I mean, he's only 6'1", 170. Probably, probably weighs a little bit more than that, but um, – he doesn't look like that. He looks like he's a 6'3 guy with the, his wingspan and his, just his lengthiness. So I think Chauncey Brown's a guy that 
especially with Carolina losing, um, you know, a couple of wide receivers, Thomas Jackson, Anthony Rat- Ratliff-Williams going to the league, uh, or trying to go to the league, I think that Chaffee Brown's a guy that can really come in and, and make that instant impact. And like I mentioned earlier with uh, Tamari Fox and Simone Fox, I just really like that that element of having guys that are brothers that aren't too far apart. Mm-hmm. You know, it's crazy to think Deami and Chaffee, uh, Deami's going to be a sophomore and Chaffee's going to be a true freshman, how close those guys are together and how close in talent they are as well. So I really like that dynamic of bringing in a guy like that. And I think Chaffee Brown, has a really good uh, – based on what I've seen on tape, you know, he's playing in Charlotte, one of the best areas for college football on the East Coast, in my opinion. And I think that Shoffrey Brown has the ability to come in and do some good things. You also look at the likes of, of Josh Henderson, and I will say I was a little bit surprised at, at what Mac Brown had to say about Josh Henderson. You mentioned it earlier about mm-hmm. him kind of going through the tape on signing day, which is a really, really cool thing. But Mac Brown, you know, Josh Henderson's a guy, if you don't know, recruiter is a running back out of New Jersey. Uh-huh. Um, but – he, Matt Brown mentioned the fact that he plays both ways uh, for his high school. And, you know, it was crazy to think that Brown was pretty much saying or kind of alluded to the fact that you might see Josh Henderson play on the defensive side of the ball for Carolina. Right, and, I did see that, yeah. yeah I, it was it was interesting to see that. And I think Josh Henderson is really the, I guess at this point, probably the third highest rated guy. Um, him and Chaffee Brown are both four stars. And you got Sam Howell's just a little, is a four-star role, which is a little bit in front of them. Josh Henderson's a guy that, freak athlete, a really good running back, and is also a really good uh, defensive player. I can't remember if he plays corner or, or linebacker. He plays one of those positions. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think Henderson's a guy that has been committed to Carolina for a while. He was committed when Larry Fedora was here for a while and didn't even waver uh, when, when the new staff took over. I think the new staff kind of prioritized him, and I'm sure um, very soon after they took over, that's one of the first guys they called because of his talent. So I think Josh Henderson's a guy that I think he has an ability to make an instant impact. I don't know if he'll do it on the running back side to mm-hmm. start out, just because Carolina is loaded at running back next year uh, with the likes of uh, Michael Carter, Antonio Williams, Jordan Brown, and even Javante Williams. So this this Carolina running back core is stacked. So don't be surprised to see him not get a lot of minutes at running back. Right. But if Mac Brown is is kind of alluding, if it ends up happening uh, based on what kind of he's alluding to, um, then you might see Josh Henderson play on the defensive side of the ball next year as well. And I think he'll regardless will be a big special teams player and one more guy i will mention that i'm really kind of excited to see um come in might be a guy that a lot of people wouldn't think of but i think wyatt Tanal was another really good pickup for mm-hmm. carolina he's a guy he's a two-star recruit he's not heavily recruited he ended up flipping from appalachian state obviously with uh satterfield living leaving for louisville up there kind of gave him a little more of an incentive but i think Tanal was looking for every reason kind of like how they come to carolina and this coaching staff really prioritized, excuse me, him when he came mm-hmm. in, uh, when they came in as well. So, but the reason I think uh, Tanala's got a really uh, good chance at making an impact is, man, I love guys kind of like Tristan Miller who got that six six frame, and he's six six two seventy. He's literally right. on rivals, pretty much the same um, height and weight as as Tristan Miller. And I just love when you get guys like that at the offensive line. I remember before I stopped talking real quick, I remember. Um, back in 2016, I was in the Georgia Dome for the the, um, the year that Trubisky, it was his first year as a starting quarterback. Carolina ended up losing that game to open the year. But I remember, uh, there's two things I remember. That was the loudest game I've ever been to, football game I've ever been to. But also, the just how big Georgia's offensive line was, was incredible. Right. And most of those guys, if you go look at that roster, 6'6", six, 6'5", six, 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 guys. And Mac Brown, as you can tell, he's prioritizing those big bodies to come in 
You've also got the likes of Asim Richards, who's a 6'5 guy that Carolina got as well at the offensive right. line. So if you look at this thing, man, it's crazy to think that Mac Brown in his first class brings in three offensive linemen that are 6'5", 6'6", and 6'6". That shows the intent he wants. He's talked about getting big guys at the O-line and defensive line positions. And, and he, he's, he's practicing what he preaches, bringing those three guys in as well. But, I mean, really to answer your question, uh, those three guys I think have a good chance. But I think there's a lot of question marks about this class uh, because I don't think it's – by no means, and I, I'm sure you would agree, Anthony, it's not a great class, but – Right. What Mac Brown was able to do in the in the less than a month he was there, uh, you know, dropping Carolina from up in the 80s to, to now in the looks like a 42nd team rating at Rivals is just a it's just a really big accomplishment for him and his new staff. So got to give credit to them. But uh, this this recruiting class going into 2020 is just going to get even better and, and better. And I'm excited to see what Mac Brown is able to do at Carolina, especially with his ability to recruit. Yeah, I mean, it might not be the greatest class uh, that we've ever brought in numbers-wise, but at the same time, you know, a guy I like, Giovanni Biggers, the safety, I think he could come in, have a little bit of an early impact because there are going to be some depth concerns, really just more experienced depth concerns at the safety position. Um, I think he just, he flies around the field. Um, One of the things that Mac Brown said about him yesterday was he really likes his fit with Jay Bateman's uh, defense. He's a guy that's just really a gap filler, and uh, he also plays the football very well. Um, same thing with Storm Duck, which I found kind of interesting considering he only had one career interception in high school. He said this was a guy that played the football really well. Even if he doesn't end up racking up those interception numbers like people would like, you know, we've seen these guys come in before that have been really effective and really haven't put up great interception numbers. MJ Stewart is the guy that comes to mind right yeah. off the bat. And you know, Storm Duck, I, I watched his highlight tape, and that was a guy that I thought was fantastic, especially because most of the time he was in press man coverage, which is really hard for a lot of high school corners to be able to play effectively. And he did it almost the entire season at Boiling Springs High School. And then one of the last ones that I'll uh, throw out there, and this one will probably be a little bit of an interesting one, would be the punter Ben uh, Kiernan, because you know, really, we're not going to have a guy going into next season at that position that's going to be experienced. And, uh, you know, the one thing that I saw from Kernan on tape really is just the consistency. And that's something that they kind of lacked with Hunter Lent last season. Don't get me wrong. Hunter Lent had his moments where he was really good. But I think Kernan might be that guy that can maybe, you know, elevate that punting game back to where they need it to be from, you know, those days of Tom Sheldon. All right, Jacob Turner of Tor Heel Illustrated. You guys can follow him on Twitter, uh, Jacob Turner, T-H-I uh, is his handle. You guys can follow him there, and uh, great stuff from him. So now we got to talk a little bit about the other storyline that came out of Carolina. This one actually broke yesterday. William Sweet, the offensive tackle for the Tar Heels, he is going to go pro that is the second underclassman to declare for the Tar Heels. And it seems like him and Anthony Ratliff-Williams are going to be the two guys to keep an eye on in the draft process going forward. As seems like the senior guys really aren't on the radar. I mean, Malik Corney could be a guy potentially to keep an eye on if he does get a combine invite. Maybe Cole Holcomb, but there's been some things about his game that I think people will have a little bit of problem with. The missed tackles in open space at times. Um, a little bit undersized. That could keep him from being a big-time guy. So, William Sweet's declaration, I think, just kind of caught everybody off guard. I know, you know, we talked about it a little bit 
before coming on the podcast. And I asked you, you know, what did you take away from from William Sweet declaring for the NFL draft? And you kind of told me you were shocked. I mean, as you sit here today, uh, is it kind of still that same reaction? Yeah, I didn't think he was a guy ready to go pro. I know he graded out pro football focus-wise pretty okay. I thought this is a guy who, you know, would, would have a good series, one one series and the next series would get, you know, would get mauled. And But look, I'm not going to judge a man if he thinks he's ready for going to the NFL. Look, go get your money. Go go ahead and secure your, you, you know, yourself, your family for a very long time. I just thought he might have used one more year, might have, you know, improved his draft stock. And also I'm kind of selfish because he comes back. Not as many questions on the offensive line, and this offense, you know, might be a little bit more productive early because we we know we at least have one guy we can count on to do his job blocking the other guy. Well, the whole offensive line was scheduled to come back, so yes, that definitely hurts, um, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. But I, I don't, you know, to me, William Sweet I think was our most consistent offensive lineman and the numbers from pro football focus definitely show you that graded out as an 80.4 overall um fantastic in pass protection uh an 85 plus i think it was like an 85.2 grade from pro football focus which is fan which is great and that's something that you know when you see that number okay that's going to help him get to the nfl level because it is a more pass heavy game now but at the same time, you're thinking, okay, we're about to run an air raid offense. Can you imagine having a guy that was one of the best, if not the best, pass protector in the ACC this past season as part of that offensive line? Now, the area that, like you mentioned, that people might be a little bit concerned about um, is going to be, you know, he did have some moments where he struggled, particularly <laughs> on running downs. That's one of the areas he's going to have to improve. Not the greatest run blocker, but, you know, one of the things that I think is going to be interesting about him is, you know, he is going to have a lot of upside because he is still going to be very young. Um, a guy that, you know, we don't, frankly, teams are going to have to just go off of this year because he only started four games before this season. Remember, started the bowl game against Stanford in his redshirt freshman year. Um, he did play in all 13 games, though, so that definitely is helpful. But the other thing that happened was his sophomore year, redshirt sophomore year, he comes in, starts the first three games of the year, and then just mysteriously had an injury that cost him the rest of the season after that old Dominion game. So coming into this season, there were still a couple of question marks about what could he possibly be. You know, there's a lot of talent with this guy, but we just don't know whether or not he's really up to the level that we thought he was because he just hasn't played yet. Uh, and I thought this year came in, to me, yeah, I, I mean, the pro football focus grades don't lie. And so that's kind of what I'm thinking that he's he's thinking. Also, I'm going to tell you that, <coughs> look, the NFL draft process works in weird ways. The guys that grade these guys out, they will always tell these guys, look, you're bet they're, they're going to tell them that they're better than they actually are. So what he's telling them is, look, you know, look at these grades from pro football focus. They're going to see these, and they're going to take a chance on you, especially because you're young and you're raw. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, maybe he he thought about and said, yeah, maybe that, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe teams will take a chance on me, and I really hope they do because I think he's got a lot of talent. And I, I think if he would have came back, he would have been probably a preseason first-team All-ACC guy. 
So it makes a, you know, a little bit of sense, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, this is how you know it shocked everybody. Currently, any of the draft boards that I've looked at, they don't even have them on the radar. Um, and one of the things that I noticed, one of the guys from, uh, he, he's in one of the groups on Facebook uh, that I'm in, and uh, also a guy that I believe writes his own draft guide as well, Chris Ransom, he said that there is not a film clip of him out there. There, What it is is that they have, you know, different film clips on these guys when they go to the NFL level. So they always have guys that put together these clips when they're going through all the prospects that they think could come out or, you know, some of the underclassmen that could possibly come out. So I know Anthony Ratliff Williams had one. He went pro, of course, a few weeks ago, as we talked about on the podcast. William Sweet did not have any film on him, anything. So that means that they were not even remotely thinking he would go to the NFL. So it's going to be interesting to see how he's able to, you know, test at the combine um, if he gets invited. And if not, he's going to really have to show himself on pro day and he's going to have to have a great interview process. And we'll see. You know, we wish him the best. But the main thing that we're going to focus on here for the next few minutes is when you look at this offensive line, you know, they've got some guys that have some talent on the offensive line. Not many with experience at that tackle position, but, you know, ultimately, you know, what's your thinking going into, uh, you know, at least when we get into spring camp, still a long way to go until that. But who are the guys on the offensive line that maybe you're going to keep an eye on at that position and say that maybe those are the guys that you want to step up and take over that starting offensive tackle position? I'm looking at you with wide eyes because my mind just completely blanked um, reading a, a Twitter beef. Kind of threw me off track. Okay. Um, that's fine. Yeah, no. I mean, like, look, I'll, I'll throw out, like, William Barnes, I think, yes. is a guy that's got to step up. I mean, came out as a four-star prospect. Um, you know, I mean, he was – he. I don't think people realize how close he got to being a five-star guy. Yeah. Like, this guy was rated yeah. higher than Howell was coming in. This dude was – I would say I would say about 20 or 30 spots away from being a five-star guy and you know some of the stuff that we saw from him early on this season before Billy Ross eventually took over that guard spot you know we saw some pretty good things from him early in the season I remember reading a stat where you know the the difference between the left side of the offensive line when he was in and the right side of the offensive line was just crazy because when he's in the game, especially running the football, that is where he is at his best because he is so big, he is so athletic, and he just drives people down the field. And I think putting him at offensive tackle, which was the spot that he played at in high school and was most effective at in high school, I think that could definitely help. And then the other guy that I would say to keep an eye on will be Jordan Tucker. He was the guy that started the last game of the year for Carolina when Sweet went down with the injury against uh um, Western Carolina, and then uh, he came in, played against State, and I'm going to be really honest with you, I thought Jordan Tucker played a fantastic game against NC State, which is one of the better defensive lines in the ACC. I mean, you could argue probably top three behind Clemson, and I'm not really sure who else you would plug in there, probably Florida State with some of the guys that they had down there, but Man, I, I'm telling you, you know, it's going to be an interesting race, but I think there is definitely some talent here. I mean, out of those two guys, you know, with, with the, I guess one of the main things is, is, is how important will the tight ends be to try to help those guys out, uh, you know, working in a newer guy there? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it could be something that you see a lot more of. It's something that we didn't really see a whole lot of this year because we needed the tight end in the passing game because mm-hmm. Nathan Elliott's arm just couldn't get the ball downfield. So we revolved, or we, uh, not revolved, we um, we lived on a lot of underneath stuff. So that could be something that, that you will see more often. I'm always a big fan of that, mm-hmm. that, you know, the more you have there to block, to let, as long as you... Your receivers are winning on the outside. I'm not going to fuss about keeping a a running back or a tight end back there to help in pass protection. So you'll never hear any complaints from me if we do that early. As long as the guys on the outside are winning their routes, which we haven't done in about three years, but hopefully in this new offense with some new route combinations and this, that, and the other, we'll see some different stuff to allow us to win out there to, to, to help the offensive line because it's still very young protect who's ever in, in the shotgun for Carolina. Yeah, and I think it's going to also help that the fact, you know, we bring back Charlie Heck, who I think will probably move over to left tackle. Last year was a little bit weird because technically he protected the blind side as the right tackle because Nathan Elliott was a lefty. Uh, but, you know, I think he'll kick over to the left side because more than – barring something basically unforeseen because, as we've said – it would really shock us if Nathan Elliott was out there starting the game in Charlotte against South Carolina. I think that would blow everybody's mind if he was the guy. Um, that that right side, you know, the left side, excuse me, will be the blind side. So I think he'll end up kicking over there. Maybe having them at right tackle will help a little bit, not having to put as much pressure on them by saying, hey, we're throwing in on the blind side. Let's see what you got. Um, I think that could definitely help. But, yeah, no, I I think definitely having guys that can get back there and help pass protect, something that we really haven't had that much of at Carolina in a while. Um, You know, we saw it a little bit this year. I think the most effective probably out of anybody was Antonio Williams, but that really wasn't saying much. So that'll be something to stress. But, yeah, I mean, looking at the pro football focus grades, once again, I mean, one of the guys that you'll notice was on there besides William Sweet was Carl Tucker. One of the main reasons that they had put him on the first team just in reading the article was they said, look, you know, yeah, he was one of the top pass catching tight ends in the ACC, which, you know, that's actually pretty shocking. If you look at his numbers, he only had 256 receiving yards on 16 catches the entire season. So it tells you how much of a down year it was in the ACC for tight ends. But he was one of the more effective blocking tight ends in the ACC. And you got to think, I mean, he wasn't on there, but you got to think that Jake Vargas was too. Because whenever we saw him out there, Jake Vargas was fantastic, especially in run blocking. So having those guys there, I think like you said, that can help the learning curve just a little bit. I would expect that to be a big battle to keep an eye on in spring camp and fall camp as well, because I think it could carry over, especially if, as I think it looks at this point, Tristan Miller, the true freshman offensive tackle we talked about a little bit earlier, if he ends up enrolling in the fall, I think he could throw a little bit of a wrench maybe into those plans because he was a guy that, according to some sites, was a four-star, some sites was a three-star, but Really a guy that was kind of on the borderline there, but has the size to be able to play immediately. So maybe he could have a little bit of a run come uh, fall camp if he ends up coming in later. But, yeah, no, I I think it's going to be one of the ones to keep an eye on. And, uh, you know, that along with the quarterback battle – 
could be big determiners to just how successful this offense is. And so, like I said the other day on Twitter, it wouldn't be an offseason in Chapel Hill without a quarterback battle now, would it? So, um, you know, but we wish uh, Anthony Ratliff-Williams, who's going to the NFL, along with William Sweet, the best of luck. We'll let you listen, of course, now to Daniel Parlagreco of DTP Draft Analyst. He's uh, going to sit there and talk to you guys and myself a little bit about William Sweet. Um, he touches on him at the end. More about Anthony Ratliff-Williams. He lets us know a little bit about the stock that Anthony Ratliff-Williams will have going into this NFL draft, especially as it compares to some of the other guys. How you been doing? Doing really good. Just heavily getting involved in these draft prospects for uh, this 2019 class, trying to keep an eye on what's going on with the underclassmen. I've really kind of been focusing on um, either guys that have already declared or seniors as we prepare for the um, as we prepare for the Senior Bowl in a uh, just a few weeks now, actually the end of January. So I really want to get ahead, get all these seniors done, have the whole senior class done, and then uh, start working on these underclassmen as they start to declare as these bowl games get going. Yeah, for Carolina, that's going to be the big area to focus on when it comes to the NFL draft. Um, And it's going to start, of course, with Anthony Ratliff-Williams, who declared for the NFL draft a few weeks ago now. Um, So Carolina is going to have to adjust to that. But when you look at Anthony Ratliff-Williams, you know, what is this guy going to bring to the table as an NFL draft prospect? Well, the, the first thing that comes off my mind when I think about Anthony Ratliff-Williams is toughness. The guy, even though he was a quarterback um, that started his career there and converted, he's not a guy that plays like a quarterback, meaning he's a physical, tough guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he wins He wins with his physicality. Even though he's a great athlete, um, he's a guy that looks like he's playing the wide receiver position when it comes to a lot of areas of the game for a long period of time. Really, really tough, really physical. He likes all the physical parts of the game, uh, meaning, you know, catching the ball in heavily con- congested traffic in the middle of the field, um, you know, outboxing, you know, a corner or safety, mm-hmm. you know, at the catch point, things like that. He does a great, great job at the things that he's going to still need refinement are some of the nuances of playing wide receiver, footwork, um, route running. You know, even though he's a great athlete, he doesn't quite know how to utilize his athleticism when it comes to getting separation, things like that at the next level, um, because he has the athletic ability to be an, you know, an excellent guy that separates down the field. He doesn't quite do that yet. Um, he needs to learn, you know, footwork and top around, uh, separating, you know, route deception, things like that, not giving away his route, you know, through the middle of the play um, so that he can uh, truly separate, you know, once he gets to that break point. Yeah, I mean, when you look at him in terms of the other wide receivers in the class, you know, where does he kind of stack up? Is this a wide receiver class that lends well to a guy like him that's going to be a little bit of a project? Or is this more of a class where there are a lot of guys ahead of him and he's going to probably drop a little bit? Um, no, I actually think the the, uh, the former. I think that it's going to be a good thing for him because there's not a lot of in this draft class with wide receivers. Unlike there's a lot of guys that are kind of in a similar boat to him, meaning mm-hmm. that they are uh, good players, either good athletes or they have really great size, but they're not the finished product. They're not guys that are like, mm-hmm. wow, this guy's a sure thing at the next level, like we've seen in previous years. There's not as much. Um, there's a lot of guys in the middle of the pack is what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say. There's not right. really guys that, um, 
that have, you know, clearly stood out, you know, on their own as far as being, oh, this guy's a top 10 or top 15 pick. I actually don't think I have any of those guys graded so far in this class. I think there's going to be a lot of guys from about prospect number 30 on my board to about prospect 120, 130. There's going to be so many wide receivers jumped into that into that grouping that uh, it's going to kind of be a question of taste for these teams and these uh, these GMs as far as guys that they personally like, guys that they believe in. Um, that's why I think the interview process is going to be really important for teams. You know, as, as far as if they've dealt with, um, you know, seriously, uh, well, just injury. You know, if they've had injury concerns mm-hmm. or how well they how well they interview, um, and even I guess how well they do in some of these combine drills that translate well when it comes to the receiver position, like um, the shuttle drill, um, things like that, that they're going to want to test the receiver's agility, things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, is he kind of in that area that you mentioned that 30 to 120 range uh, where he'll probably be around a second round draft pick anywhere to a fourth round guy? I think so. I absolutely think so. I have him graded right now as a third rounder. I'm going to watch a little bit more Mm -hmm. of him, but I think he's going to be, He's a borderline day two prospect, I think. He's going to probably be somewhere between, if I had to guess right now off the top of my head, I would say somewhere between um, pick 60 and 70 and pick 120, I would say. So somewhere in that range. So he can go anywhere from, I think, the third round to the probably the late fourth round. So I guess it just depends. I, I mean, I really, really like him. I think he's going to be a really solid. He's going to either be a number two or number three receiver for a team at the next level. I think he has potential to be um, to be a number two, a guy that you want on your football team because he's going to bring the physicality. He's going to help. He's going to help the other receivers as far as opening things up. Um, you know, a, a guy that I that I believe in a lot more than some of these other guys that are more raw and unrefined. And then what about his return ability? Because I, I'm still kind of a little confused about what he is as a returner because his junior year, he was uh, fantastic in the role. We saw him a little bit his sophomore year and senior year, though, struggle. Does he have return ability that could potentially help him to get drafted maybe a little bit higher? Yeah, so – so correct me if I'm wrong. So this year he's a redshirt junior, wasn't he? This was his redshirt junior. Oh, yes, so yes, a, that's right. Redshirt freshman, yeah. uh, sophomore, and then junior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he declared – yeah, I thought he declared a year. Right, year, right, so. yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. I, I, no, I, no, I, no, I just wanted to make sure I had that right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so yeah, I know. That's kind of the thing with him is he had a uh, – he had a great sophomore year, you mm-hmm. know, as far as returning at a couple of return touchdowns, a kickoff return guy as a junior didn't really, wasn't as successful. Um, I think it's kind of one of those things where the return game in the NFL is kind of, um, I don't want to say it's completely faded out, but it's really not a big deal anymore. Right. Um, is that, is that going to attract him to teams because of his return ability? Maybe, you know, maybe on a scale of one to 10, like a point one or something, you know, it's, it might help a little bit. I think the fact that he's had a couple nice returns. Uh, will he get to do it much or use it much in the NFL? Probably not. But I think uh, it's one more positive thing in his direction that he could potentially be used in that role. He certainly has the physical traits. He has the explosive traits uh, to do it successfully. So I think um, I think teams will definitely look at that and give him a you know give him an extra um, you know an extra point or whatever for for being able to do that. Well, he's not the only underclassman that declared for Carolina, and uh, you know William Sweet. Declared- declares yesterday 
Um, you know, I was talking with you, and I think this just kind of shows what the William Sweet decision is at this moment to most draft experts. It's a shock because you said that this was not a guy that was on your radar, and and rightfully so, um, because it seemed like to most people at least that he would probably return. Um, you know, I mean, he's going to be coming in with one year of starter experience. Um, started uh, his redshirt sophomore year a little bit before getting injured um, in the third game of the season. So, um, you know, when you look at the offensive tackle class, is there room for William Sweet to potentially fit in, or is this a really, really strong offensive tackle class where he'll uh, have some work cut out for him when he gets to the combine, potentially if he gets an invite, or when he gets to his pro day? Absolutely. I don't think it's actually kind of similarly to the wide receiver position. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a um, I don't think it's really a, an extremely strong tackle class. You have um, you have a lot of developmental guys. Um, some of these teams are going to want to see the lengths on a lot of these these tackles to see if they're um, you know if they're eligible basically to play on the outside of the next level. If you're talking about guys that have shorter arms, 31, 32 inch arms, mm-hmm. they're going to want to kick them out to the next level. So I think those weigh-ins are going to be important at the at the senior bowl and at the combine for especially for some of these underclassmen uh, like um, like Swede. So it's going to be um, it's going to be interesting. I think if he has a if he has a great showing, you know, as far as a combine or has great interview process or he shows some positive things to the pre-draft process with teams mm-hmm. i think um i think he certainly has a chance to elevate his stock quite a bit um you know uh, it's a guy that like that is a developmental tackle um you know that came out early i think it's a, it's a huge risk i don't know if it was a smart thing to do i don't know exactly who was advising him on that but i think I think maybe one of the things that he might have been advised, which kind of sounds maybe dumb for us on the surface because he's such a developmental raw guy, is the fact that maybe somebody told him that hey, the tackle class isn't that great this year. You have a, you have a, you know, you have an opportunity during this pre-draft process to really distinguish yourself as a guy that has a lot of talent going forward. And I think maybe he. Um, you know, maybe he ran with that and said, you know what, I'm going to impress these teams. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know do whatever I can to get myself ready before the uh, the combine so that I can show teams that I can do it at the next level. All right. That sounds great, man. Uh, yeah, we really wish uh, William the best as well as Anthony Ratliff Williams, and we'll see both of them hopefully uh, at the NFL draft combine. I know uh, Ratliff Williams, it seems like more than likely will be there. Um, sweet. We're still kind of waiting on and we'll see, um, him in his pro day for sure. So, uh, Daniel, yeah, man, I know you got your, uh, your draft guide that's getting ready to come out again, man. This is, uh, you know, they, they say that it's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, for you, this is definitely true. Um, so yeah, tell them, uh, where they can check it out, uh, because this is some awesome stuff, man, especially for guys like myself that are NFL draft nerds. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm going to release it absolutely on, uh, on Amazon again, mm-hmm. uh, I always do, you know, my DTP 2019 draft guide. Um, you know, I'm debating about selling it on my own, you know, selling it on the different website as well so that all my, um, you know, my followers or my fans that have purchased my guide in previous years, they can buy the more direct purchase um, if they just want the digital copy, doing something like that. I'm kind of, I'm not 100% sure, but it'll definitely be available on Amazon. Just follow me on Twitter. DTP Draft Scout, and um, I'll release all my information when it's going to come out on there. And um, I'm hoping to get it out actually before the combine this year. So um, I, I think it would be a great guide for people to have um, for the combine, so they actually have it. They can follow along and look at these guys during the combine process. It won't have 
necessarily all the updated heights and weights on guys. Mm-hmm. But you know what? The more I was thinking about it, the more I was, you know, contemplating the fact that a lot of the height, you know, especially the weights on these guys is completely, you know, flawed when it comes to the, the combine because they're dropping 10, 15 pounds to run right. a lot of these skill positions. So mm-hmm. they're not really the true weights and heights. Um, well, the heights are, but the weights aren't. So um, I think it would be a really nice resource guide for guys for the actual combine process. And most of the draft guides don't come out till early April anyway. And, um, you know, I try to distinguish myself as a guy that looks at the film, looks at the game tape mm-hmm. rather than bases my opinion on these, um, you know, these other draft experts on, you know, in the media. So, um, I don't think there'd be anything wrong with doing it. So I'm kind of contemplating that, but just follow me and, uh, I will give you guys all the information you need. All right. Daniel Parla Greco, uh, Man, I love having you on. You know that. And we'll have to have you on for sure before the NFL draft in April to kind of give us a little bit of a uh, update on these guys and maybe some of the other guys that could potentially make a little bit of headway if there is anybody else uh, for the Tar Heels. But, uh, yeah, thanks, man, and we'll talk to you down the line. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. I want to thank Josh Marlowe for co-hosting with me as always. And I want to thank you guys for listening, as always. You guys, have us up there. We're over a 1,000 listens now. That is fantastic. Uh, You guys have done such a great job in supporting this podcast and supporting the blog so far. And as always, if you guys want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do so on Spreaker, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn.com, or the TuneIn app. You guys can check out the blog as well. I encourage you to. We have some great stuff on there. The early signing day recap. We'll talk about all 19 of the prospects that were signed so far in the 2019 class. Break them down just a little bit for you and tell you maybe how effective these guys can be this season and going forward. As well as take a look at some of the guys that we will see coming up that they the Tar Heels could target. Um, we'll have a recap of some of the uh, high school prospects for the Tar Heels, some of the guys they're chasing after, and take a look at their 2018 seasons because you can get a little more of a feel for them. That'll contain, of course, the guys in the 2019 class that have already been signed, some of the targets, and then some of the 2020, 2021, and even some of the 2022 guys that we have already offered. And uh, it'll show you a little bit on those guys. Um, Also, some other great stuff that's uh, gone up there and will be going up there as we get closer and closer to the second National Signing Day. So, I want to thank you guys for listening once again. And as always, go Tar Heels!